Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now here's a message from one of our special guests. Well, I just, uh, it's, it's wonderful to, to be with you tonight. Um, my wonderful wife, Dr. Lisa, is on here. Um, her and I worked for Reinhard Bonker. We, we were um, um, working as the television producer, and she did the journalism. Headed up Reinhard Bonker's um, Revival Report is what it was called. It was a magazine, and we lived in Frankfurt, Germany, and we would travel with Reinhard into these gospel crusades, um, and seeing millions of people saved is the inspiration to create the International School of Ministry, the, the video Bible school that we head up. And we just thank God that God is now opening doors through the online, um, just literally all over the world, that students are able to now participate and get trained in their language, and we're able to reach them online. And God is, you know, if He closes a door, He opens five windows. You know, He is, he is going to get His job done no matter what. So we thank God for that. But as I've, you know, these last number of, of months, I've just been really just meditating on, on, on things that God taught me over the years. And um, being with somebody like Reinhard Bonker was, was an incredible honor. And, and, you know, you sometimes take for granted the things that God deposits in your life when you're traveling with somebody like that and you're seeing miracles and healings and, and, and documenting them and, and filming them. And, um, and so it just really began to stir in my heart to begin to lay down some of the lessons that God taught me. Because if He taught me them through these experiences, I really feel like they're, they're, they're fair game for us to share. Amen? And, um, and so we began a new series, and it hasn't been launched yet. It will be launched before the end of the, of the month of July. But it's called Lessons from Legends. Lessons from Legends. And what I do is just look at situations and things that I experienced and try to bring forth um, truths that are relevant to where we are right now, the things we're facing in this COVID-19 environment. And um, so I want to just start with the, the, actually the very first one that we've been working on is uh, lessons from Reinhard Bonker's tents. And, um, you know, anybody who knows the ministry of evangelist Reinhard Bonker, he had a very much like a Billy Graham style ministry, um, massive crowds. His crowds went up in his lifetime to uh, 1.6 million people in one single meeting, live, you know, no social distancing, <laughs> two miles of people in every direction, and 1.6 million people in a single meeting. But I joined him when his, his crowds were moving from about 30,000 to about maybe 150, 200,000 is the, where, the, where the crusade crowds were at those days. And, you know, very often um, when, when God approaches you to do anything, what God said to Moses, he said, what's in your hand? He says, oh, it's a stick. He says, okay, God says, I'm going to use that to open the Red Sea. I'm going to use it to make signs with Pharaoh. God always says to you, what's in your hand? What do you have? And, um, and so I began to just look back at um, a television show that I programmed that I did. It was a documentary about Reinhardt's ministry. It's called A Bloodwashed Africa. And, and in, this, in that segment, we're going to watch just a two-minute segment from that, that film or that documentary. And it shows the giant tent. Now, as the tent is being shown, you're going to see some aerial shots of it. You're going to see some amazing shots of this tent. Um, we're talking the largest movable tent on the earth. All right, 
seven stories high, 34,000 people it took. And I want you to notice that there's another tent next to it. It's a smaller tent. It's a yellow tent. All right, I'm going to just share a little bit about that in a moment. But let's turn your eyes to the screens and let's watch from Bloodwashed Africa um, the story of Reinhard Bonker's tent. Taking the gospel to the nations of Africa has been the goal of Reinhard Bonker's ministry. In order to do this, a specific strategy is being followed. Perhaps the best-known part of the strategy is the ministry's giant tent outreaches. The giant tent is said to be the largest movable tent in the world. It is a seven-story high structure that holds 34,000 people. The tent was built mainly for use in countries that do not allow open-air meetings. It was also built to be used during seasons of harsh weather conditions. The project to build the tent initially took about five years. It was one of the most ambitious projects ever attempted for the gospel in the continent of Africa. The construction of the giant tent has not been easy for the ministry of Reinhard Bonker. It has brought about many difficult trials and has been extremely costly. This was particularly true in 1984 when the canvas roof of the tent was ripped to shreds by a terrible storm. Evangelist Bonker refused to accept the setback as a defeat. Instead, it was turned into a victory when the funds were provided for the construction of a replacement roof. The second roof turned out to be stronger and more mobile than the first. The giant tent of Reinhard Bonker's ministry has done more than just provide a meeting place to preach the gospel. It has become a sign to Christians worldwide of what God is doing in Africa. Even more significantly, the giant tent contributes to a three-part strategy to win Africa for Jesus Christ. The first part of the strategy is a thrust to preach the gospel along the east side of Africa. This East African thrust does not only use the giant tent, but also open-air crusades to reach this part of Africa with the gospel message. Because of huge operating expenses, the tent is normally used only when necessary. When the tent is not needed, open-air crusades are held instead. Amen. And so I want to just bring some amazing lessons that came out of this tent. It's a, um, an extraordinary project. And let me just give you why or what was the impetus behind Reinhardt, first of all, building this tent. So he had that yellow tent. Reinhardt started with sort of circus tents and small tents, and he, he, he was traveling in southern Africa and Lesotho and, 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 and South Africa and other parts in that region. And he, you know, realized the tents were too small, and he only took one or 2,000 people. And so he found a person in Milan, Italy, and he commissioned this person to build that yellow tent, which is it seated 10,000 people. And you would have thought that would be, you know, a significant uh, size, but even that became too small. But when Reinhardt had that tent, he was traveling in many parts, and tens of thousands of people were getting saved through the yellow tent, the 10,000-seater tent. And he was in a remote area of Africa, and he was just resting in the afternoon before the evening meeting. 
and suddenly his his staff came on and they just they they were just I mean they were terrified and they 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 shook Reinhard they woke him up they said Reinhard Reinhard we're we're facing a massive crisis and Reinhard said what and he and he jumped out of bed and he and and they said just come outside and see and he ran outside and coming towards his yellow tent was this massive storm I mean it was there's no question it was like targeted directly at his tent and and he he you know knew that if that storm hit that tent was gone and you know, I heard this from multiple people and from Reinhard himself that, you know, Reinhard, he ran between the tent and the storm. And he stood there in between and he literally spoke to the devil. And he said, devil, he said, if you destroy this tent, he said, I'm going to build one three times bigger. And that storm literally stopped in its tracks. And turned around and went the other direction. And then Reinhardt said to the devil, I don't make any bargains with you. I'm still going to build one three times bigger. And this is one of the things that I learned from Reinhardt. Faith frightens Satan. Faith frightens Satan. And that, that we have to learn to stand between whatever attack he brings against our families, our businesses, our homes, our finances, every area of our lives, our health. We have to stand in the gap and we have to speak with authority and boldness. We have to take authority and speak with faith because faith will repel him. And you don't have to make any bargains with him. Amen? You know, there's something about, um, you know, the book of James chapter 4 verse 7 says these words. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It doesn't say he might flee from you or he possibly will flee from you. He will flee from you. Amen? And so under all the attacks that the body of Christ as well as the world is under, but we as believers need to, to stand in faith. We need to face what the enemy is bringing, and we need to speak with authority and with faith. Now, you know, this is, this is maybe a crazy, and I don't know if I've ever shared this much before, but, um, and this has got no real um, spiritual basis to it, but it does illustrate the power of authority and the power of standing and speaking with authority. I grew up in, in South Africa, and we, um, we had a high school teacher. His name was Mr. Pixton. And I, and I remember to this day him, him sharing the story in the middle of science class. And, 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 and he, he talked about himself being with a friend in the downtown of the city that we, used, that we lived in at the time. And he, his friend somehow, you know, got inebriated. He got drunk, and he was, you know, he was just not a, properly on his feet. And they were going down the street together right in front of the city hall. And there was a lady outside the city hall, and she was selling potted plants. Not pot plants, potted plants, all right? She was, she was selling them right there. She had a whole bunch of them. They're pretty heavy, uh, you know, plants that they were maybe 30, 40 uh, pounds each. And this inebriated drunk friend of his, um, decided that he was going to just take one. I mean, he was, not, he was not in his right mind anyway, and so he reached down and he grabbed one of these plants. And, 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 and my teacher, Mr. Pixton, said, 
you know, let's put it down. You haven't purchased it. You haven't, pay, you haven't paid for it. And he began running down the street, and he's running next to him, trying to get him to do the right thing. And across the street was a, a police officer who had, you know, a newly trained German shepherd. And it was the perfect scenario because the lady who was selling the plants, she was saying, stop thief, you know, stop this, 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 this uh, theft that's going on. And here's this guy with a German shepherd, newly trained, and he looses the, the dog and says, go after him. And, and, and our teacher's running next to this guy. Now this dog's coming up at them at high speed, and he does not know what to do. And I remember him sharing that, that as this dog was getting closer, he was just panicking and just thinking, what in the world? How do I deal with this? And he shared that what he did, that when the dog got about 15 feet away, coming at high speed at them, he stopped and he turned around and he faced the dog and he literally with every ounce and every strength in his voice, he screamed the words, he, the word, sit. And that dog came to a halt and sat. Now the police officer was so upset that the dog had listened to the thief. You know, he put them in prison for the night. And, and, uh, but, you know, I remember thinking, you know, here's this attack coming and this, this teacher, this is in the natural world, that he faced it and he didn't, he didn't run. He faced it and turned and he spoke with authority. And that dog sat. And let me tell you, that we have that authority in Jesus Christ to speak to the enemy. We have it in Jesus' name. Amen? And we need to learn to stand and to speak with authority when those storms come. And when Reinhardt had that experience, that storm turned and ran, went the other way. But he made the decision and he really felt it was from God that he was going to build a tent three times bigger. Well, 10,000, he decided to add some. So he went to a tent that would seat 34,000. And he began this project, and you can imagine. Now, you may think, oh, it's a, it's a great, it's a tender thing. We're talking two or three football fields. We're talking about a massive project. We're talking about costs that you can't even imagine. And so Reinhardt began to bring engineers and people from Germany, and he, had all, he built up his team, and he began to share this vision of the tent, and, and people started giving to it, and he decided he wasn't going to spend a single cent. Um, he wasn't going to... He wasn't going to borrow a single cent to do this. He was going to trust God for every single part of this tent. And it took about five years. And this, this tent was, was all-consuming. I mean, it just captured the imagination of people, but it also it taxed the team. It did things in the team they didn't even know that they were had to face. And it was a situation where they, you know, were trying to figure out and, and work out the engineering. And in order to go up seven stories, you have to go down into concrete. You have to go down at least maybe 10 meters or 34 to 36 feet. You have to go down into the ground to be able to, to hold up that type of, you know, mast. And, and so they went through this process of building this tent and... Um, it came to the time when they needed the, the roof, the, 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 the tent canvas. And they ordered it. I believe it came from Germany. And the canvas cost in those days about 400 and something thousand Deutschmarks, which was about the equivalent in dollars. So over $400,000. They didn't have the money. But they ordered it. And it was delivered. And they 
you know, put it on the, on the, on the you know, up, they established it and they set it up. And then the day came that they had to make, had paid the bill. And the team just was crying out to God, God, we built this tent for your kingdom and we did all of this. And on the day that they needed this massive amount of money, a wire comes from Germany from somebody who is really not even given to the ministry before and for the exact amount that they needed to pay that canvas roof. Now, Reinhardt knew that back in those days we didn't have, you know, WhatsApp and, and, and we couldn't just make a call or whatever. So Reinhardt knew there had to be a story. And next time he went back to Germany, he actually... Um, found the lady's number, and he called her up in Germany when he was there, you know, visiting his partner base, and, and he just said to this lady, he said, look, you, you're not normally a supporter of us, and what on the earth made you give that amount of money on that day specifically, you know, uh, to our ministry? And the lady said these words. She said, I don't normally give to you, she said, but I was in my room, in my, in my bedroom, and I was praying one night, and she said, the telephone rang. And she said, I picked up the phone. And she said, the glory of God filled my room. And the, an angel spoke to me on the phone and said, I want you to send this amount of money to Reinhard Bonke in Africa for this purpose. And it paid was the exact amount that they needed. Now, I would like to do some contact tracing as to where that call came from. Was it from a pay phone? Was it from a cell? I, you know... I mean, I'd be interested to know that, but wow, God used it, that he used an angel to speak on a phone to a lady to send that amount. And, and this is what I learned from Reinhardt, was that, that when you have a vision for God and when you step out, that the authority and the provision and the blessing of heaven will come, you know, people say, well, when I get the money, then I'll do that for God. It doesn't work like that. It, it is something where you step out and you believe God. And as you step out in faith and you get something, you know, that God is, 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 is glorified and he is in the midst of. God will provide. And, and I saw it again and again in Reinhardt's ministry. It, it just seemed like God did these miracles on such a regular basis. And um, I want to put up the Great Commission because the Great Commission to me, you know, with all of the stuff that's going on, I think the enemy just wants to take our eyes off the, the Great Commission. He wants us to stay indoors. He wants us to, to not reach out. He wants us to, you know, I mean, I just, you know, for us, we would always be traveling into the mission fields of the world and just not being able to, to travel and to go and minister and to go and, and, and bless and speak to nations is, is very, very hard for our ministry right now. But I think the enemy wants to distract us and take us off target because the Great Commission is still given over your life and over my life. It hangs over all believers, every Christian, every person in heaven and earth. We are, we are under the Great Commission. Amen? And the Great Commission says this, Matthew 28, 18. This is the last words of Jesus. It says, and Jesus came and he spoke to them and, and saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How much of the authority in heaven and earth is given to Jesus? You'll find the word all four times in this Great Commission. Not once. And all means all. It's everything. I mean, Jesus said, all authority, not just on earth, but in heaven and on earth. So he's prefacing this commission with this statement. 
He's saying, all right, before you go and do anything, before you even, you know, consider this, this commission that I'm giving you, I want you to understand that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right, so now, he, the next word he says is, um, he says, go therefore. So he's saying, because of that, you're going to be backed with all authority in heaven and earth in anything that you do to advance my kingdom. All right? He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Does Jesus say some of the nations? All of them. And now you may think these nations are like China or Russia. Actually, this word nation means, means tribe or, or people group. All right? This word nation is the word ethne. And when Paul used this word in another place, he said, I am from the nation of Benjamin. He didn't say Israel. I am from the ethne of Benjamin. He was the tribe, which is a subdivision of the nation. God says, make disciples of all the nations, every one of them. All right. And then he says, so all the nations, how many of them? Every one of them. All right. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. Jesus didn't just say, well, just get them saved. He didn't just say, well, just, you know, get them and preach them salvation. Jesus said, you need to teach them to observe all things, everything that I've given you. When we started creating our curriculum, you know, we did 100 hours of recording, and I said, Lord, you know, that's enough. I mean, who's going to watch 100 hours? I mean, that's, this, that's, that's, that's already, I mean, that's more than most people will ever watch. And I felt the Lord say, it took me three and a half years to prepare 11 people. Three and a half years, God in the flesh took him three and a half years to teach the things that he needed to teach those people. I felt the Lord say to me, you are not going to bypass the process. The process of learning. He doesn't say go and preach them. He says teach them to observe all things. The process of teaching is to us so critical. And that's why the focus of our global work is, is, is teaching the Word of God. to get the greatest teachers in the world and teach the Word of God. And then he says this, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. All authorities backing it. He's got the commission and the magnitude of what he's given us is all nations. Teaching us to, to, we teach them to observe all things and he's with us always. And let me just share this with you. Even in the middle of whatever you're going through, if you are bored and you don't have something to do, I, I got a job for you. This is called the Great Commission and you will never, ever exhaust it. It's something that if you, if you allow it to get into your heart and realize that it wasn't a great suggestion, it was a great commission. It was given to all Christians everywhere. You know, years ago, I, I heard of a lady in, in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and she, um, and she got this in her heart, this whole idea of the God saying, you know, do something for my kingdom. And she said, but God, I'm just a housewife. I'm in the middle of a huge apartment complex. I can't do anything. I can't. You know, what can I do? I'm not, I'm not in that position to go and preach to these people, whatever. And she felt the Lord say to her, start washing clothes of the people in the different apartments and just tell the people that you're washing that you're doing it for world missions. And so she went to, to neighbors and people. She said, look, I'll wash your clothes. She said, I'm very good at that. She said, I got four kids or whatever number she had. She said, 
And, and she said, but, you know, all I ask is that you make a contribution to world missions. In three years, she was able to raise $43,000 just from washing people's clothes in the apartment complex that she lived. It happened because she set her heart on doing something for the kingdom. Now, she held those funds. She felt the Lord say, hold them. And then one night at church, a missionary came who was starting an orphanage. And they needed $43,000 to build that orphanage. She turned around and she sewed it into the kingdom. And she built an entire orphanage with washing people's clothes. Amen. God can use you no matter what you're facing or where you are. Set your heart on the Great Commission. Set your heart in the kingdom. Amen. Now, as you saw in the video, that this tent, you know, Reinhardt finally built it and and then it was used maybe three, maximum four times. And it got down to Cape Town and a massive storm. Actually, Reinhardt had a dream that he was going to do something in India. So he left the crusade area. He was, they were still preparing things and he went to India. While he was in India, a massive storm shredded the, the entire you know, tent, just like little tiny shreds of, 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 of canvas all over the place. People miles and miles away. And you've got to realize that whenever you set your things on the kingdom of God, to do something for God, there will be opposition. No matter what it is, whether it's a storm or whatever that storm manifests in, that you know what, and, and, and sometimes, you know, you get to repel it, and sometimes, you know, the enemy will do something he thinks will pull you down and will, will stop you. But it was amazing that even as those shreds of, of tent were, were, were strewn and thrown all over that, that region, that people picked up pieces of that canvas, and those pieces of canvas were laid on the sick, and people were healed. And, and as they gathered under, this, under the, what was left of the mass and the things that went up in the sky, I mean, the glory of God came over that area and God said, your praises will be my canopy. And God just began to visit that place. And they had over 70,000 people come to that crusade and God manifested his power. So even in the middle of the attack of the enemy, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of God will raise up a standard against him. Amen. And so you have to realize that, you know, despite those attacks and, and here they had this miracle of provision and then psh, it was gone. And then God helped them to raise the funds, and, and it actually came from a ministry here in the United States. I think it was about $700,000 they paid for an entirely new roof, and that tent was fantastic. That's when I joined his ministry. I got to film the, those scenes of the new tent, and, um, and that new tent really became a symbol for what God was doing in Africa. It was just an incredible work, but after that tent, we went to the country of Blantyre, the country of Malawi, and the city of Blantyre, which is the commercial capital of, of Malawi. And as we landed in Malawi, we were actually in the place where David Livingston was, uh, you know, where his, it was named after his birthplace. Blantyre was where he was born in Scotland. And David Livingston had been in that region and area. And as we were in this crusade, I mean, the Spirit of God just moved in and and we had a crowd of 150,000 people that came and, and miracles began to happen. There were over 50 sets of crutches that were donated to the Polio Society of Malawi after that campaign. And, 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 and Lisa was documenting uh, these, um, these miracles of these people as they came forward. It was, it was absolutely amazing. 
And while we were there, one of Reinhardt's team uh, was reading the diaries of David Livingston. And he was there just over 100 years earlier. And he had written in his diaries, and he said, here in Malawi, he says, we only see one or two people come to Christ. He said, but he said, in 100 years from now, he said, others are going to come, and thousands will be swept into the kingdom of God. And we saw this outpouring of God's power and His presence, and it was just an extraordinary event. And from that day forward, the tent became too small. Now, Reinhard went back to the Lord, and he's like, Lord, we spent five years, I mean, all this massive amount of money, and we spent all of this time, and we, you know, now the tent's too small, and we can't, can't even use it. And... The Lord spoke these words back to him. And there's a lesson in each one of these points I'm making. The Lord said, you may have built the tent. He said, but I used the tent to build you. Amen. Whatever you go through, whatever you step into, whatever you, you, you engage in for the kingdom of God or in your family or in your life or as you, as you grow in your faith with God and you attempt things for the kingdom of God, you may think, okay, well, I did this and, and, and it's hard and it's difficult and it do, I can't have the money and whatever. And as God supernaturally helps you in everything that you do, you actually are being developed. You are being grown in the kingdom of God. We grow you know, through hardship, we grow through trials, we grow through whatever we face, we grow through those things. And God knew that he was about to take this team and use it to spearhead this massive move into Africa. And before God wanted to use this team, he put them through five years of going through just, you know, just a crucible of difficulty to develop the character in them, to develop what they needed to be able to face the challenges that they were going to be having to face as they went into Africa. So whatever you go through will build you. And I know there's the statement that whatever doesn't kill you will, will make you better, but I'm not sure I believe that. But anyway, I do know that we are built as we go through trials. And so whatever you've been going through recently, just, just rejoice. The Bible says sometimes that we have to rejoice in trials, not rejoice for the trial not rejoicing at the what the enemy tries to do to us but rejoicing that in the middle of it God will strengthen us and make us stronger amen and he will build our faith through it and and so this is point number three when we do something for God the process will often transform us and it's in first Peter 1 it says in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while if need be you've been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's just saying your, your faith's like gold, and it's, it's tested in fire. It's tested and it's made more pure and more strong and more beautiful and more, and more effective and more you know, useful for God's kingdom. The more fire it takes, it becomes purer and it becomes better. And so I want to just close with one last point, and that is, you know, I'm going to just go back just a few years uh, in the process of what happened in this, and it'll make more sense here. Reinhard 
was preaching in Africa and he saw, you know, uh, a lot of people get saved. In fact, his lifetime, he, he won 79 million people to Christ. He died at the age of 79 and they had recorded 79 million decision cards in his ministry in the 79 years. A million people a year that he won to Christ. And, you know, he was a tremendous soul winner. I mean, I've never been around any human being that convicted me more because around the breakfast table, lunch table, dinner table, it was all about souls. It was all about souls. I mean, you know, Reinhold was just burning and passionate to win people to Christ. He would witness to the waiters. And I mean, it, he just, and it was, he exuded the, the, the heart of God for a dying world. He just exuded that. And... But while he was ministering, he noticed there was a famine that happened in Africa at the time, and he noticed that there were a lot of poor people, and there were a lot of um, people that, that didn't have food and that were in poverty and all those type of things. And, and Reinhardt was very compassionate, and he just made a decision. He says, Lord, I, I'm going to just you know, raise some funds for my partners to, to help you know, provide a feeding program. And he called this program Bread for Africa. And Bread for Africa, you know, I mean, he put it out to his partners, and I mean, people responded People began to give. People began to just sow into this project, and he had to buy trucks, and then he had food that he had to go and pick up from the ports. And then, he, I mean, it was a massive project, and it began to take up the entire, you know, uh, focus of his whole team. And as this thing was growing, and as it was really, um, you know, developing, Reinhard, you know, he noticed something that was happening is that all of the energy of the team, all of the focus of the team, all of the resources of the team were going to this project of Bread for Africa. And almost nothing was going to win souls, to evangelize and to, to, win, and to win them to Christ. And Reinhardt had somewhat of a dream, something similar to Pharaoh, where he saw the skinny cows eating the fat cows and they didn't get any fatter. And he, he literally had this experience and he realized that he was out of his lane. He realized that there's many, many people that have the gift to be able to feed the poor and to help people in need. But there's very few people that have the anointing and the grace to preach the gospel and to win millions to Christ. And when he understood that, he took that entire, I think there was $167,000 in the bank. He took the trucks he took all the food, he took all the resources and everything that was in that work that he had developed called Bread for Africa. He found a ministry, a guy by the name of Peter Pretorius, and he called him into his office and he said, I want to give you a gift. He said, you're called to do this. This is your calling. This is your lane. This is what you're supposed to do. He says, I'm giving all of it to you. Everything, all the bank accounts, everything, all the resources and everything else. He says, as for me, I must preach the gospel. That's my calling. That's my lane. Now, I want to just make the statement that the enemy of God's best for your life is not evil. It's not go and, you know, do something bad. The enemy of God's best for your life is good, is do something good, do something that's nice, something that seems right, something that's, you know, but it's not the central thing that God's called you to do. It was not that God hated feeding the poor. That was not the reason. But the enemy distracted Reinhardt from his, his pure calling and his central calling. He distracted him by doing something good. And I really feel like that's something that we all need to consider, that we need to, you know, all of us recognize <clears throat> where our role is in the church. 
What's our gifting? What's our calling? What's God gifted us to do? God hasn't called you to give to every cause. But God, you know, will put in your heart certain causes that He's calling you to, to be a part of and to be involved in. And that's, and that's, you just need to listen to the Holy Spirit. We say, well, I must listen to everybody. No, there's a thousand million different causes. But you're not all called to do all of them. But there are other people maybe that are called to do those things. And very often, you know, we need to find the places that God's called us specifically to focus on and to be our central lane. Where's our greatest fruit? Where's our greatest anointing? Where's our greatest, what God is, does God bless the most in our lives? And let's stay in our lane. I remember years ago being in a church in, in Virginia when I was going to university there in Virginia Beach. And, I, and I, I used to go to this Assemblies of God church and I remember the pastor's name was Wally Odom and he was just a magnificent pastor. He had a worship leader that just led us into the courts of heaven. I mean, just was just magnificent. I just, I love going to church there. I, I can, to this day, 25, 30 years later, I can remember the exact points of his sermons that this guy taught because he was so anointed. And I love going to that church. And I remember one, you know, one service that, that you know, the worship leader, actually the pastor had traveled and the worship leader was put in charge of the church and he was put in charge to, 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 to lead the service and to, you know, uh, take care of everything. So he gave the worship over to somebody else and he became the pastor. You know, and I just thought, well, I mean, that's the worship leader. He's just going to take us into the throne of heaven. And, but, you know, he was not. He was going to be doing the pastoring. He was going to be preaching the message. And the guy who was called to, who stepped into place to, to lead the worship, I mean, he was awful. I mean, it was terrible. The whole service was a disaster. And then the worship leader got up to preach the message. And I mean, it was, it was one of the worst services I ever been to in my life. And I just, I, I never, I, I, it was such a, a lesson to me that you need to find your lane. Where are you anointed? Where's God called you? And the Bible says we're a body, Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> this I just read in verse 15. It says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Each one of us is a part of this body. There's nobody that is superfluous, that doesn't, is not needed. We are all needed in this body. And if every one of us does our part, it's amazing what God can do. But sometimes when we just see something, oh, that person looks really, I, I really would like to do that, and, but it's not your lane and it's not your calling. You'll be frustrated. Everybody else will be frustrated around you. And you won't be in your, in your most effective place. And so what happened with this tent is that Reinhard realized that there's no way that it was going to be big enough. He knew that it had built his team. It had done its purpose in his own team. And he called the same person that he had given that whole ministry to, Peter Pretorius, and he said, I want to give this whole tent to you to be able to be put it up in Mozambique and to feed the poor and use it as a storehouse as you can store whatever grain or whatever things that you have. And he sowed that entire tent into that ministry, and it became a blessing for years and years following. And God wastes nothing in your life. You may think, oh, well, this is, well, what, I don't really see the reason for that. But you know what? You'll find years down the road that God will use that experience or that trial or that thing. He'll use it in your life because you will have been through something that you'll be able to help somebody else. You'll be able to do something to help others. And so 
with those four things that faith frightens Satan. Remember that faith also attracts heaven, but it frightens the enemy. We need to stand in the face of the enemy and we need to speak with authority. Great projects for God's kingdom often have great opposition. They also produce great miracles. But very often when you step out in faith in those waters, and you step out on the Great Commission, God will hold you up. He'll be with you always. He'll never let you fall. And number three, we, we, when we do something for God, the process will transform us as much as it does. It transforms the world. And number four, as we build God's kingdom, <clears throat> we must stay in our lane. And so with that, if God spoke to you tonight, just give him a hand. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.